yes, yes, and you don't stop. Cool ID, best rapper, you don't stop. Another fucking hundred fucking dollar freestyle for you and your mind. Come on, yeah, you can never define anything but divine love. I'm a savage beast, <laughs> slightly above average, at least not. Preference is relative. My reference is consistently uh, bring you to another vicinity. I hit you. And welcome to Savage Beast. I'm Joe Gallagher. Uh, with me, as always, a man who has never blown a 3 1 lead in the NBA Finals. It's Paul McLeod. <laughs> I never have, and I never will. That's true. Um, that puts you above yeah. many, many other NBA players. Twelve, About 12 of them, in fact. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, nothing they did was as bad as J.R. Smith, who should have to give his blood to LeBron James like by legal right who's, to heal his who's hand. Who's the J.R. Smith of music? Um, Is it Kanye? <laughs> <laughs> no, it would have to be somebody who really like fucked Kanye over, you know, or, or someone that's just like of lesser talent who fucked over like a really good musician. It'd have to be somebody as crazy as Kanye, but not nearly as good. I guess it's something Um, to do pumpkins. It's like Jonathan Melvoin leading to Jimmy getting kicked out of the pumpkins. Although Jonathan Melvoin was punished horribly by dying. So maybe. Yeah. Apart from that, that macabre note, it's actually pretty close. Yeah. It's something. Yeah. It's like all, (laughs) all the people who like gave the drugs to the person who then overdosed. Like yeah. whoever gave Kurt Cobain that shotgun, kind of the J.R. Oh, yeah. Smith. Yeah, See, Paul, I found our I mean, opening bit. All we had to do was I know. open. <laughs> I know. I was just thinking that. Um, this is great. Uh, hit the theme music. Uh, no, we already played the theme music. Well, <laughs> okay. hit it again. Yes, yes, and you don't stop. Cool ID, best rapper, you don't stop. Another fucking. Fucking dollar freestyle for you and your mind. Come on, yeah. You can never define anything but divine love. I'm a savage beast. <laughs> Slightly above average, at least not. Preference is relative. Um, uh, no, yeah. actually, actually, like the J.R. Smith of music has to be someone like who was shitty in a band, like when the band was good. That's that has to be. And also band. took and also took down the lead person somehow or other. Oh by yeah, making him yeah. so mad he did something self-destructive. Um, yes. Anyway, yes. we'll think about this and get back to you with our top fifteen candidates for the J.R. Smith of music. Uh, yes, please. If you um, uh, if you can think of one, uh, you should leave it in your five star review of us on iTunes. Yeah, that'd five be a great idea. Five stars. Uh, say how awesome we are and tell us who the J.R. Smith of music is. Yeah, I'm sure there's somebody I'm not thinking of that's totally obvious. Uh, Paul, the Smashing Pumpkins have released their first new song in uh, 18 years to feature uh, Mr. James Well, Eon. oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, wow. Have, that has Billy James and Jimmy on it. Um, I bet it's so good. You know, I, I my anticipation was so high when I saw it was released – I immediately grab my headphones to listen to it right away, and I think we should listen to it now. Uh, Here we go. Pay close attention to the first five seconds or so. Burn down the sun. I'm not
nothing but a body in my mind. Uh, yes. I guess. Uh, I am everyone. I guess uh, Billy's been watching Westworld with his cats. Uh, <laughs> uh, Fuck. That's the worst thing that could have happened. <laughs> Paul, uh, your, uh, your initial reaction uh, as to why um, this song by our favorite band sucks. Uh, because he forgot how to write a new good riff like 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. That's what happened. Yeah. Uh, it's been almost that long. And um, that was always the problem with a potential Pumpkins reunion. And uh, it's still that problem today. Yeah. Um, I, I told everyone to listen to the uh, first five seconds because I, I think I said to you that within the first two seconds, I knew it would be terrible. Yes. But actually, when I listened to literally it, I, within two seconds, I, literally, I realized that I, that it it takes place within the first second. Uh, there's a um, uh, a tinny drum hit leading to a two thousands yeah. new metal bassy guitar chunk, and so what you know. Um, what your mind knows instantly is that we're about to hear a Smashing Pumpkins cover of Hashpipe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's what this is. <laughs> yeah. um, I was really amazed, though, uh, at James Eha's contributions um, and how they were utterly undetectable. Uh, it's really <laughs> Well, how much to be fair, flew. that's exactly like... That's exactly like prime pumpkins, if you ask me. But. I, yeah, well, we could we could get into that debate later, but it, there wasn't even like any interesting guitar sounds that we could pretend to attribute to James, yeah. as there are in say, <laughs> you know, zero or something like that. Here, there's nothing. Um, yeah. I, Who produced this song, by the way? Rick Rubin. Do you know? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, so much for that idea. I just listened to our podcast talking about uh, Ogallala and how we were like, yeah, maybe Rick Rubin will save Billy. Yo, Rubin's washed oh, too. I mean, he, he <laughs> totally. had his heyday a long ass time ago. Literally in the 80s, literally L- before Billy's. LL Cool J ain't walking through that door. Um, <laughs> although, you know. The BC it, Boys yeah. are not walking through that door, and if they are, you should probably run. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, um, R.I.P. Whichever one of them is dead. Um, yeah, <laughs> that sounds like we hate the Beastie Boys, which we don't. No, I love the Beastie Boys. I just am not a big. In, I just, I, I don't yeah. know the name of which one died, and it's terrible. And I, I think it was a, MCA, but it could, it I could was, be wrong. It was, and I should not have a music podcast. Um, so I, I struggled to find something <laughs> good, good to say about this song. Um, I, I did not. Um, it certainly unearths a little pumpkin's menace here and there, uh, but it's never here enough. and there. It's never enough. Um, you know, the pumpkins were very serious and very silly in certain ways, uh, and it's all jumbled here. Um, it's it's bearable if you just listen to Jimmy. Uh, he's still yes. uh, a great drummer. and uh, I was going to say, that is the good thing to say about this song, is yes. that hearing Jimmy again, it's like, oh, yeah, this guy yeah. rules. Yeah, um, and he's he's been able to maintain. Um, and, you know, they, they actually let him have some some space to himself in the second half of the song. And, you know, it's I'm like, oh, this is it's Jimmy. All right. Good job. Um, but. Uh, you know, all of this is because fucking Billy uh, cannot fucking do anything but try and record uh, a huge radio hit, even though the mm-hmm. radio stations that would play this song, if it even was good, do not fucking exist anymore. <laughs> so he's basically like writing a poem to woo a dead girl. Um, that's, like, <laughs> that's maybe that's the most pumpkins thing though joe that's true maybe that's the most pumpkins Just thing talk to the living um <laughs> yeah <sighs> no that's just he even when they're like like throwing themselves into the rock it's like he's just it's very try hard and mm. um which is pretty much how i felt about zeitgeist 10 yeah. years ago um and uh it's just not it doesn't actually click because again like like i just i started to think like okay why is this not moving me at all then i started to think about all the truly great pumpkins hard rock songs and all of them just have utterly 
bawling riffs um and to say nothing of like uh heartfelt lyrics that are not uh just like vague slogans that it don't even mean anything which is what i get out of i'm everyone or i'm not everyone although i thought maybe that was sort of a billy's anti-multiculturalist alt-rightness coming through um yeah which wouldn't be great um so yeah there's really there's really nothing here um i i caught myself having the thought like well you know the pumpkins uh best worst songs are always the singles so maybe this is just the pro radio single for the more interesting album that i was like oh my god you poor stupid fool there's no way that's the case (laughs) no don't Um, don't even give yourself that hope I, I took a, a cleansing oral bath after this and and uh, after the second time I listened to the song and listened to this time uh, just to remember mm-hmm. the good. And I came to that conclusion that you started us off with. Uh, Billy cannot write songs uh, like that anymore. He cannot write those riffs. And, um, you know, sorry, Bill, you wasted maybe the 10 years where you could still write one occasionally being mad at the rest of your awesome band um, yeah and uh, only love will win as, <laughs> as, as you say <laughs> as he says <laughs> as he says. um lover only love will can win um <laughs> uh, and the, now now we must burn down the sun as uh yeah to, to cleanse ourselves of this song. <laughs> it's so bad that was the other thing is like when he yelps that, I was just immediately like, this is like the worst anthem melody attempt I've ever heard him try. Yeah. I, who Who is telling him that this is good? I mean, that's the question. And he's even said in recent interviews that he's like, oh, I lost that ability to edit myself. And I realized I, you know, I used to be able to do it and I can't do it anymore. But obviously, whoever he, he found after that hasn't done a good enough job. Um, but maybe there's I, just nothing there to to edit i mean i guess he tried to get rick rubin to do that and rick rubin is just old and rich and doesn't care um, it must be actually be kind of fun for james because he's like i just have to stand in this room and like kind of like mindlessly play the guitar and just he could just like keep opening the you know his banking app and like watch the money like go up <laughs> exactly it's like it might get some some groupies i don't know on the yeah. tour <laughs> You know, every three hours, fun. every three hours, he just uses the thumbnail to like the thumbprint to like authorize. He goes and sees it. And then he's like, oh, man, I'm going to order. I'm just going to go to Amazon and see what the, the <laughs> most expensive book I can order is and order it. <laughs> like he's doing this on stage. <laughs> yes. Yes. I know Paul, the sick part of this is, although I haven't bought the tickets yet, I'm going to go to that concert. I mean, I'm going to go see that well, train wreck. I'm gonna. Pay, I'm not. I'm gonna pay too much I, to do it. The the pictures of fat droopy Billy are bad enough. I can't. I can't go see it in person. Well, the good thing is, you know, it sucks for you because the first show is the one by you. But I I think I'm I'm gonna check out that set list and be like, okay, you know, uh, do I want to hear them? Can they can they make porcelain and muzzle? good <laughs> good enough that it will be a fun time because i mean you know I'm, I'm up for a fun time with my old friends the smashing pumpkins uh and you know billy will st- i mean jimmy will still be playing at peak form so you know that's true we'll see we'll see um, is jimmy still like sort of built or has he gotten fat in his age I no he's, he's a pretty built dude i mean you know when okay once you like once you've recovered once you're in recovery, <laughs> you're never recovered, you know, and you kind of like, yeah, you're a drummer. You just stay jacked. Yeah.
I'll just say, uh, we, we cut out there uh, during the break. I was listening to the excellent song, I'm Tied to You by Two People. Uh, that's the name of the band, and there's also two people in the band. And, Paul, you were saying that it's depressing to see people uh, get fat. And just old, you know, and then be doing yeah. this essentially young person's art form. Not that there's anything wrong with being fat or old. I hope to be at least one of those someday. Um, and uh, it's... Um, it's just, you know, at some point, if you're not making great music still, which some old people do, and uh, but you're not, if you're Billy Corgan, then I just don't want to go pay a bunch of money to see that. Not enticed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, you know, you can, and you can die fat and old and never having seen the Smashing Pumpkins. That's, uh, that's my plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, Billy will do another acoustic tour. It'll come through Tucson. You can see that. It'll be fine. Yeah, I would. I would probably go see that. It would. It, it, that, that would be okay. Yeah, that. That's good. He'll. He can. You know. He can still sing his songs. Uh, we've talked about the Smashing Pumpkins enough. Let's talk yeah. about some good music. Okay. Um, by which you mean? Uh, well, I think we should talk about Pusha T's amazing new album, Daytona. Let's do Spoiler it. Spoiler alert, it is amazing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Paul, Here, what, what tracks should we listen to? Let's listen to the games we play. Outstanding. That was my choice as well. Drug dealer benzes with gold diggers in them. And elevator condos on everything I love. This ain't a wave or a phase, cause all that shit fades This lifestyle's forever when you made They tweet about the length I made them wait What the fuck you expect when a nigga got a cape and he's great Ovens full of cakes that he bakes Still spreading paste, the love just accentuates the hate This is for my bodybuilding clients moving weight Just add water, stir it like a shake Play amongst the stars like the roof in the wraith Get the table next to mine, make our bottle servers race These are the games we play, we are the names they say This is the drug money your ex nigga claim He makes to all of my young niggas I am your ghost in your raid This is my purple tape, save up for rainy days And baby mama wishes, along with the side bitches They try to coexist, end up wishing you die bitches Stood on every couch that again was the games we play by Pusha T. Um, Joe, uh, the best thing about that song is that there is no hook. Yes, it is just bars, start to finish. Um, oh, yes. I mean, Pusha T did once uh, boast about not doing hooks um, as the hook of a song, so um, you know he's got a history with this, but. Uh, uh, this uh, album came out as a big surprise. We raved about it when last we recorded. Uh, we raved about the concept of it. And then we both immediately listened to it. And uh, it turns out it does rule when Pusha we T right. and Drake, uh, not Drake, <laughs> uh, although Drake ah. contributed, when Pusha T and Kanye come together for just eight quick, awesome songs. It's not like... Uh, uh, classic top of the line all no holds barred uh kanye production but it bumps and it has a little bit of sort of uh uh menacing uh impish teenage soul and uh that works for me beneath Pusha t's really incredibly precise pronunciation of a lot of words uh yes um you know this album is 21 minutes and Pusha spends all 21 minutes making it very clear uh, that he's an MC uh, that does not need to prove any facet of himself, uh, but still takes joy in how easy it all comes to him. Um, uh, his, uh, you know, the brilliance is really the weight that he uh, dangles perfectly from each line. And then mm -hmm. he kind of he weaves them back and forth. So 
when you get to the bottom of the verse, it's just been all draped together in a very satisfying way. And you've just had all these little releases and uh, moments of clarity uh, that lead to a big convincing conclusion. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's all the same conclusion every time, which is that uh, Pusha T is uh, one of the top five rappers in the world and he is authentic uh, where many other rappers are not. Yes, he he uh, knows how to deal cocaine. Um, we learned that. Um, which, you know, uh, this, is, <laughs> this gets back to our conversation a little before. Like, I, I kind of like Pusha T because, like... Uh, it's not like a whole bunch of really filthy sex raps where I have to like feel kind of dirty just listening to them. But on the other hand, dealing cocaine is also not a very savory endeavor. But oh well, um, the guy can enunciate, and um, when he does it, like you said, he's amazing. The way he sort of bobs and weaves down these really complicated rhyme schemes. It's like you're always sitting there being like, okay, how is he going to? have the last five syllables of this line rhyme with the last five syllables of that rhyme. And then it turns out to be something really clever almost every single time you, you hear it. Yeah. Enunciate was a word I was going to use. Um, I really like the line from uh, uh, hard piano, the war halls on my wall paint a war story. Um, <laughs> and then he talks, he brags about how he went to art Basel, which is true. He did go there and debut a new shoe. <laughs> But he just diversified into fine art. Of course he did. It's uh, yeah. it's what rich people spend their money on because there aren't actually any things they need that require that much money. And that's why art is so expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, this album is just super fun. I, people are calling it his best solo work ever. And that may be. It is super consistent, top to bottom, all eight tracks. Um, but I will say... Uh, you can find two songs better than any of these tracks here on uh, uh, My Name Is My Name from a few years back, uh, mm-hmm. Numbers on the Boards and Nostalgia, which are also produced by Kanye, and yeah. uh, one of which features Kendrick. Um, but I would, yeah, agree, num- I, I would agree, top to bottom, there's some inconsistencies in that one. Numbers on the Board is just an all-time rap classic. It's, oh it's my hard God. to... Uh, it's hard to rank anything above that particular song. Yeah, that beat is just, it kind of defines dope for me. Um, yes. This yes. is the stupidest thing um, I've ever said. That's <laughs> yeah, all right. Um, and, you know, Kanye's beats here uh, are, um, they they get the job done um, in noticeable fashion. They, they yes. are, exactly, <laughs> they do what they're exactly supposed to do. Um, and they, you know, they kind of defy era, um, their sounds tied to nostalgia, but you know, you can't quite put your finger on when they're from. Um, and he does for Pusha what he did often for Jay-Z, um, and turn the sound of samples, um, into a crowd at a revival, uh, doing yeah. like a call and response to what's, um, you know, what's being preached by the MC. Um, and that example we heard, the games we play, you know, the horns are kind of the, you know, landing at the exact right time to be the response. And then there's kind of guitar full following Pusha along. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, it's uh, Kanye, yeah. Kanye delivers and Pusha makes perfect use of everything that's given to him. Yeah, the way that guitar just sort of keeps like loping along is perfect for a uh, an uninterrupted one verse rap song like this. Um, uh, and yeah, you referred to some of the samples. Uh, I listened to um, "The Truth Shall Make You Free" by the Mighty Hannibal, which is the song that uh, gives the hook to uh, uh, "Comeback Baby," um, mm. which rules. Um, and uh that's a good song too everybody should go out and check yeah. it just search just search comeback baby sample and you'll you'll find it um but uh yeah it's sort of the classic thing that you like you were saying that kanye used to do but in a modern updated form and uh uh that if that allowed him if going back to that allowed him to 
uh, start kicking out eight tracks every week, um, at least some of which have been good so far, then uh, I'm all for it. Uh, Paul, did you, uh, you know, I learned, I was doing more research on Kanye beats and uh, I didn't know Hova was a Kanye beat, which is kind of shameful on my part. Uh, um, I guess I didn't know that, but I'm not surprised. Uh, and uh, it's just such, so cl- it's almost like to Kanye. Uh, it seems <laughs> so obvious. Um, but, yeah, uh, I mean, he really did just like do that back in the day, you know, the yeah. sped up soul sample thing. He invented it. Um, we'll we'll get to that uh, when we talk about ye. Ye yay. is that how you say it? Yeah, you got to say yay. <laughs> it's got to say yay. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, anything else about Pusha T? I got to say, I also love uh, the song. Uh, I, I talked about it briefly. Hard piano. Uh, that's got a, a Dre homage. Uh, with a yes. '90s gangster rap beat, um, but still kind of a uh, modern uh, indie rock uh, electronic flow to it as well. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's hard to say anything bad about this album because it's only 20 minutes long, and I think that's a big innovation, uh, or I will say innovation, but that's for Kanye to be doing that with this and uh, Yay. Um, it absolutely feels like enough uh, for a hip hop album. I, I don't feel like I'm missing anything here uh, on Daytona. Um, it's not That's that a I great point. Be, yeah. I, I would reject. Gr- go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, I agree because it's like, you know, unless you're like Kendrick and you're doing some like, you know, conceptual philosophical work where you're trying to develop some themes over a period, which not a lot of rappers are. Um, yeah, I would much rather listen to rap in uh, 20 to 30 minute chunks than uh, like Drake putting out an hour and 10 minutes at a time or something like I'm I'm never going to do that. Um, yeah, I guess and, they um, do it just because the, in the Spotify area, you're just hoping for some hit singles. And so it's just like, let's just put out 20 songs and that increases our odds of having four big hits. Uh, yeah, and, and, you know, notably Sir's November, which will probably be in our best of the first quarter, is uh, also only 32 minutes. Um, and again, feels um, like the perfect length. Um, not that I would reject any true epics that people want to put out offhand, uh, but it's definitely a course that, you know, most artists should consider in this in this Spotify era. It's just the uh, better amount of time to digest an album. Yeah. Um, I mean, as I think we brought up a couple episodes ago, unfortunately, apparently the economics of Spotify work the opposite way. And to reach the top of the charts, uh, for instance, uh, uh, the Migos released their album as a double album just because that apparently helps if people play the whole thing through. What you need to do is a a 20 minute album uh, where with 40, 30 second songs or that would be good. Or I think it's by minutes. So just release your 20 minute album with all eight tracks repeated four times. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, there you go, that's man. what we will be doing. Um, okay. <laughs> so next up, uh, we got to talk about an even quote unquote, bigger release from Kanye. And that is yay itself. All right. What should we play from that? Joe, I'll let you pick this one. Let's play ghost town. Someday, I wanna lay down like I did on Sunday. Sunday, Sunday, I remember three songs. Sunday, that way, yeah, way, way, better. Someday, I wanna everybody. Sunday. I wanna hit the red dot and never find something. Oh, 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 
to make you love me But everything I try to takes you further from me That was Ghost Town by Kanye from Ye uh, With a chorus by Kid Cudi Oh, that makes sense. Is he? He probably plays mm-hmm. that guitar too, huh? Oh no, I guess oh, he does. <laughs> I believe he's a guitar player. I'm just assuming. Um, he released a at least one rock album. I've yeah. I really wanted to listen to it, and the reviews were so bad that I kind of I never brought myself to do so. I, I listened. I listened to part of it, and it sounds a lot like the guitar right there, like sort of like. Guitar that actually does sound kind of cool the way Kanye produces it, but like if this were an actual rock track, this would be like just the hammiest bullshit. Um, mm, that makes I don't, good sense. Yeah, I don't know quite how they pull that trick off, but they do. Um, I'm not saying it's great, but it's uh, a lot le- more bearable than it would be if like white guys with long hair were playing that. So many things are more bearable if it's they're not being done by white guys with long hair. Yeah. Ask anybody who knew me in my early 20s. hey um, It was a good look for you, Paul. <laughs> it's still on my driver's license. Um, oh, dear uh, God. <laughs> you're in Arizona, so like that doesn't expire to like 2065, right? I think, I think I was actually supposed to update the picture like five years ago, but I haven't done ah, that. I see. So. Arrest this man. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, so yeah, this is that's part of my political praxis is not updating my driver's license. Ah, that's some good praxis. Uh, all of Savage Beast is praxis. Um, all of it for. Uh, uh, I don't. I, I don't even know what this would be praxis for. It's um, self care, Joe. It's self care, which is yeah. There you go. <laughs> that's probably true. Um, <laughs> so, Paul, your thoughts on Kanye? Man, I don't. Ha- uh okay you're putting me on the spot and the truth is like i don't have that many i think i have the same reaction everybody else did which is like this is okay um i didn't i don't hate listening to it but it doesn't get me pumped the way classic kanye beats and um incredible self-centeredness uh do um everybody seems to be mad that all the uh all the um, uh, just pointlessly transgressive political tweets, um, all those bad posts led us merely to this uh, slightly disappointing Kanye album. And um, it's it's the shit post of albums. Yeah. If I it, it's not that bad, though, like a shit post has to be intentionally bad. Like his his uh, track that we listened to last time. That he put on his website. That's like, true. That's, that's the a shit. Post that's a shit track. post. Yeah, exactly. Um, this is just sort of like, eh, okay. Um, well, and you know, and I, I sh- yeah, go ahead. I should actually say that there's something, you know, I, I've always been attracted to the idea of the, you know, uh, uh, artist putting an entire work of art, a production together. In, in a very short amount of time and just getting mm-hmm. it out there to the world. You know, William Faulkner writing As I Lay Dying in like six weeks. Um, that is, you know, right, exactly. It's it, There's something about, you know, you can feel the energy in that. And I, I like that that sort of momentum and trying to capture a very small moment in Kanye's life it is in this album, you know, where you're just like, I'm in Wyoming, you know, I went to Wyoming, I recorded this album, uh, and that's, that's, that's what it's about. It's about, you know, my weird, uh, psychological political breakdown that happened yeah. over the course of like a week on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, it also has to be, um, really good. And this, uh, feels slight i mean especially yes. compared to push a t's album which is the same length yeah um and, and the same producer so, and there's so much more there yeah uh, and here i don't know i mean you know here's the thing my favorite art uh musical artist of all time billy corgan probably voted for donald trump you know and he <laughs> goes on alex jones um and he says like innumerable dumb things in interviews but, yeah you know 
I have no need to like defend Billy because it, his for that because his belief in small <laughs> government and chemtrails doesn't like saturate every moment of his music. Yeah. Um, you know, there were no songs on his album uh, about QAnon, you know, <laughs> called like QAnon mouse or something like that. <laughs> Ode to Pepe by Billy Corgan. Yes, yes. Uh, Salt, salt and Pepe. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, But you know, Kanye makes every moment of this album about his monstrous insecurity. Um, Uh Well, to be fair, that's always what Kanye has talked about. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. you know now this this routine where he's he's just a child and he wants to be able to say and do anything yeah is deeply uninteresting Uh uh-huh um even even at the level where you know some critics i think ta-nehisi coates wrote this where you know it, it is tied to his idea that like if he was a white celebrity or just a white person like he would be able to say and do so much more than he can as like a black celebrity. That that is interesting, but I just don't I I don't see that that level of analysis comes from outside Kanye himself. I don't see any of that like commentary reflected here. Yeah. Um, and is that even true? Yeah. I mean, like people got real mad at Kanye and people got real mad at Roseanne uh, Barr. Like I don't know. I <laughs> yeah, totally. It's it's a much more complicated. Uh, yeah you know set of you know you could say that Kanye has more cover to say how much he loves Donald Trump than Roseanne does yeah um you know and and uh although he has a lot less cover to walk into McDonald's alone uh <laughs> late at night if no one knows who he is um anyway that's true we don't sure yeah yeah um but i i would i would ask this like what could Kanye say that would actually get any corporation to disassociate itself from him the way Roseanne Barr did. Like he can't, racism is sort of off the table. And I'm not saying this in the sense that it's unfair that black people can be racist and white people can't, which is the stupidest fucking thing ever. But it is true that Kanye can't exactly, I guess he could say something racist against like Asian people or something. And that he could might also get him in start, real trouble. He could start trying to foment an actual race war that's you true. Could be like we're meeting in Wyoming, you know. We should we should meet here and you know plan to kill the yeah. other races. I, I think that real would... real real anti-Semitism would do it. I think that would that would get it done. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, um, we shouldn't be giving Kanye ideas, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, and and none of this is out of the question for him. Either. None. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised he hasn't tried tried just a little anti-Semitism to see how it goes. Um, seems like something he would do. Uh, <laughs> but um, if he wants to criticize the state of Israel and their pal- policy towards Palestinians, I'm all for it, damn it. Um, I could just hear Kanye saying protocols of Zion. Oh, yeah. Kanye exactly. <laughs> Okay. Protocols. Oh <laughs> uh, no! I give me give me five minutes, and I can come up with a Kanye couplet about the protocols of yes, the Yes, Absolutely. But then uh, we would be doing what we do not want Kanye to do. So exactly, uh, we will we will refrain. We will refrain. Um, no, I agree with you. It's it's slight. It's like it's not terrible, and there are interesting moments. Um, but, uh, you know, he gave Pusha T his better beats, and Pusha T is a way better rapper. So um, that doesn't leave a whole lot for this since it was sort of just thrown together. Um, I mean, the thing is that what I really love about Kanye is um, when his music just sounds just like, like just so expensive. I've talked about this before. But it's yes. the, the sound is so rich and so um both uh, like banging and uplifting at, at you know like spiritually soaring at the same time um flashing lights comes yeah, to mind exactly um most of uh, uh my beautiful dark twisted fantasy feels like this to me mm-hmm. um um that's what i really love about listening to kanye and so when he's sort of going in oh i'm getting this out quick mode it's just like 
like not as good. Like he doesn't have, there's not sort of a rawness to replace that, uh, that finely sculpted detailed thing. And that's okay. I mean, some artists are, uh, great improvisers and, and, you know, fast workers and some spend 20 years coming up with a perfect masterpiece and there's great work that's come out of both things. And I think Kanye is more the latter than the former. And Mm -hmm. as a result, uh, this doesn't do a whole lot. Yeah. And I mean, you know, and I think to my final point would be, uh, you know, Kanye is uh, to me, one of the, probably one of the best two best samplers of all time, him and Mad Lib, um, mm-hmm. at least for hip hop. Um, you know, we talked about Hova, um, if something more obscure, check out Talib Kweli's get by, um, for, uh, you know, an example of, you know, Kanye just at his absolute peak. Um, mm-hmm. He even sampled Aphex Twin without pissing me off is how good he is. Yes. Sampling. Yes. Uh, he shows how transcendent a hip hop song can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, I think everything here falls short of a Kanye classic um, mm-hmm. by that measure. And I think, he, you know, for a Kanye song to be uh you know 10 out of 10 he has to have brought his absolute a game to the production because like you said he's not and also five other people's a games to the production as well yes yes exactly (laughs) i say that not Um, as an insult his talent is like you know conducting and directing all these people so yeah anyway yeah you know right so this is kind of tiring to listen to um maybe five years from now when it's detached from this moment i'll go back to it and i'll enjoy it a little more but right now um, I find little to empathize with and yeah. I'd rather listen to Daytona again. Yes. Let's do that. Yes. Um, okay. Goodbye, Kanye. Yeah. Um, Paul, we have one more subject that we wish to discuss. Uh, it's, uh, Donald childish Gambino Glover, uh, and his new song. This is America. Here we go. Yeah, don't uh, don't catch me slipping now. Um, <laughs> uh, so this is um, a viral sensation uh, by uh, the multi 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 talented uh, Donald Glover um, in his childish Gambino form. One of his childish Gambino forms, I should say. Uh, yeah. There have been many, um, and uh, accompanied by a uh uh very i would say i call it a riveting video a striking video uh an yeah. attention getting <laughs> and uh at times disturbing video um uh it which if you haven't seen it um you know you you could hear the gunshot here of when uh Donald Glover shoots a black man with a hood on um, and later in the video, he guns down an entire uh, child's uh, entire chorus of children um, who are singing the bridge. Um, 
Uh, and, you know, they said that f- a final resting image of the video where he's just at the end, he's just running from a lot of people. And it's you don't really know why. Anyway, um, I want to talk about this song, which I think is has, you know, been covered, um, you know, as, as rocketed to the top of, of the charts and has been, you know, talked about a lot. Um uh, for its, you know, interesting videos, I said, but I want to talk about it in the context of a um, New York Times article, mm-hmm. um, uh, which I have now lost track of. The oh no! Had it open. I got it. All right, I want to talk about this New York Times article um, by uh, Lauren Euler. I think that's how you say O Y L E R by Lauren Euler. Um, called uh, What Do We Mean When We Call Art Necessary? Mm-hmm. Um, and Paul, you read this article and you liked it. Um, yeah. Why? <laughs> well, I mean, for a lot of the reasons we've sort of uh, discussed on this podcast several times, um, I hearken back in particular to the podcast we recorded right after Trump won the election. Mm-hmm. When we came up with our best... Uh, angry about Trump playlist uh, between the two of us. Um, And uh, I actually said at the end, um, you know, uh, for, for all that, uh, this seems really shitty, like keep, um, keep enjoying the good parts of life and having interesting aesthetic experiences and whatever else is good about living because um, the ultimate defeat would be to lose all of that. And that's um, what she, I think, gets at much more eloquently in her discussion of the concept of necessity as it relates to art. Um, And, uh, you know, basically, um, I might quibble here and there with some of the points she makes, but we're largely in agreement that it's um, it's, uh, both um, missing the point and, in fact, degrading to art to to collapse all of its value to its political uh, uh, content, both the, you know, the, the direction and quality of the degree to which it makes uh, the direction and force with which it makes a political point. Um, It's just, there's so much more uh, as she says, let me find the quote actually. Um, uh, This is one. There are many non-comprehensive adjectives we can apply to good art. Moving, clever, joyous, sad, innovative, boring, political. But good art doesn't have to be any of these things, necessarily. Uh, what we want out of it is possibility. Um, and that's yeah. that's really what I feel like is when all we talk about is um, whether uh, art is uh, properly... Uh, saying the things that we already believe about politics or not, then um, we sort of uh, both miss the point of art and obviate it entirely um, and uh, end up in a place where maybe we don't need it at all. Uh, Yeah, you know, I pulled out the same quote um, because she makes, it fantastically illustrates how you know, saying something is necessary robs both the artist and the audience of autonomy um, in, mm-hmm. you know, uh, deciding both uh, what their work means and, you know, what uh, what the audience is meant to get from it. Um, and, uh, you know, nece- uh, she says, when used to describe specific works today, necessary constrains uh, more than it celebrates. Um, uh and then, you know, we end up craving the extraneous, which then starts to feel essential too. Um, mm-hmm. and you get kind of caught in this uh this loop of self care. Um and I think uh uh she and she she pulls out a quote about that uh uh by uh New York uh, New York magazine's Matt Zoller Seitz who called a miniseries Waco necessary and sometimes powerful <laughs> to see he separates the work's role from its ability to stir emotion and in turn protects it from any qualitative assessment. Um, and I think that's, you know, protecting a work that seems important from qualitative assessment is really where the injustice comes in. Um, yeah. you know, with a, with a, a, 
uh, I think, bef- you know, and, and that's where I think its relation to something like This is America really fascinated me because, you know, people, so many people immediately posted about this um, on Twitter, on their Instagram stories, both, you know, um, you know, cultural commentary at the cultural commentariat that I follow, um, as well as, you know, uh, uh, friends from various walks of life talking about how much they like it and, and more how much they, you know, saying like, you have to watch this. This is so, you know, uh, moving. This is so, uh, necessary, you know, it's so uh, like, you know, of the time, like with everything that's going on, you know, uh, Donald Glover has, you know, encapsulated it perfectly. And I, I felt, um, I was actually kind of late to watch the video and, you know, I realized everyone else is watching. I was like, Oh, I, I better watch it too. <laughs> um, and I, 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 the song itself is so interesting. Um, it has a, you know, uh, uh, very, uh, manic depressive bipolar, uh, structure, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, going back and forth from, uh, you know, this kind of sounds like a, a sample from, uh, you know, a, a recording from Africa, um, to like, uh, you know, Atlanta hip hop, um, yeah. and then to something in between. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's hard for me. I'm just interested that it's like hard for me to dive into the criticism of that music, um, because I feel like I'm you know, disparaging the memories of, uh, you know, black people who have been gunned down by the police if I do so. Um, yeah. That's kind of the trap that this uh, necessary, this word necessary gets us into. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think in this case, like this is a overtly political song. <laughs> like there, yes. that's, that's the point. Um, and I don't mind discussing political art uh, in political terms. Um, and I don't mind having political art. I think that those, that can be great. Um, absolutely. Uh, as, as Lauren Euler says, um, art is infinitely adaptable. It accommodates activism naturally. Um, and it does. Um, it's, yeah, we talked, you know, we just to, to quickly interject, like, you know, we talked about invisible man on our last podcast, Yeah, you know, or like James Baldwin, like for, you know, or Langston Hughes for African American artists. Yeah. I could keep listing them, you know, the political and the personal are often intertwined and it's often what gives uh, the, you know, that, that emotional weight to what they're doing. Absolutely. And go back to and listen to, uh, or listen to, yeah, I guess you could, but read Emile Zola's Germinal from the late 19th century about French coal miners. And just, it's just a long, you know, modernist or, or realistic novel about, um, uh, in the in the sense of realism, uh, capital R, uh, about people suffering the depredations of uh, uh, you know resource extraction capitalism, um, and it's incredibly moving. Um, but it's so I don't mind discussing this work in political terms, and I mean you know just thinking about the struct the bipolar structure of it that you mentioned, like that he's making a political point with that. You know, you have the sort of innocent happiness of uh, celebratory African-American music or African, um, and just, you know, transitioning with a gunshot into, uh, a much angrier form. Um, so, uh, and so, you know, that, that structure is obviously suggested by the political point that he's trying to make. So I don't mind discussing it here or thinking about it in those terms, although you could also make, uh, aesthetic points about the way that transition works. Absolutely. Um, it's when art, uh, the, the possible, the, the possibility of art that isn't so necessary, uh, gets precluded that I get annoyed at the way people talk about these things now, by the way, um, necessary and sometimes powerful. I thought that was, I, that was my favorite <laughs> example she yes. pulled out. It's just like an oxymoron. Yes. <laughs> um, <Yes. laughs> but you know, that's where we live now. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, that is that is perhaps more an example of a uh, imprecise and uh, yeah. dare I say not very good writing. Uh, yeah. Than it is a particular well, 
syndrome. And, yeah, Matt Zoller cites is capable of good pr- criticism. I've read it, but that was well. Yeah. I mean, that's her point though, is that this has become like a vocal tick, and you know, you can make too much of such ticks. Um, you know, she comes out against some of the more hyperbolic uh, way people talk uh, talk about things now, which necessary is an example of hyperbole. Um, and to some extent, I think you can you can take that too far in that. Uh, as somebody, I forget who put it on Twitter a little bit ago, um, making fun of millennials for how hyperbolic they are sort of misses the point, you know, like, like, uh, this is everything and, you know, all the other, uh, sort of, uh, catchphrases we have now, um, that that's just their way of talking possibly in reaction to, uh, the, uh, purposefully too cool generation X, uh, way of expressing ourselves, which I mean, if you ask me, the Generation mm-hmm. X is obviously way better, but um, uh, the, it's kind of just how pe- millennials talk is in hyperbole. So you can make a little bit too much of it. Like I think they understand that it's hyperbole and that you it would be a mistake to take it literally. But uh, she makes a good point, and you know that's sort of what you have to do in, a, in an essay to make your argument is uh, hammer home the ways that ridiculous things are going on. Yeah, and I think, you know, even as millennials, um, the broad, broad group of people called yes. millennials. Snake um, people. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, understand. Um, uh, now, now, there's no need to lump us in with Kevin Durant. Um, <laughs> um, uh, you know, even even as we understand it's, it's hyperbole, we're still uh, maybe at times afraid to go to call that out. Um, yeah. certainly on a day to day basis. Um, and you know what, what I would call out about this is America is that, you know, almost, I would say a great deal of Donald Glover's music is, you know, him playing a character. And I think mm-hmm. it, it is something that, that sometimes, um, it allows him to try out a lot of different uh, genres and forms for his music um, without, uh, you know, needing to do much work transitioning between the two. It's just this childish, the child, you know, he, he seems to, you know, he just kind of like takes on this this new form, this new character at a different point in their life and just kind of you know, creates what he wants to create. I think there's a bit of, you mm-hmm. know, uh, there's a lack of authenticity to the different stages of his career because he seems to kind of be following the trend, um, the trends that are there right now. And in some cases, um, he's, you know, very far ahead of them, which is a point I made on a, a tweet on the Savage Beast uh, Twitter account uh, that his um, calling an album because the internet um, in 2013 was, uh, you know, or maybe it was even before that it was like radically, it was seemed like such an amazing joke at the time. Like, like, Oh my God, this, this seems like ahead of its time. And now it's like every album is like, has like an emoji for a name. Um, <laughs> and, um, but uh, you know, with this song, as much as I, I don't know. I can't say that I like love this song. Like, yeah, I agree with the point, but I also have to say that even if it's necessary, it's not really the best um, art I've seen address this subject um, or, you know, in general, the, the state of, you know, African the American politics and Trump's America. Yeah. Um, and the fact that, you know, especially the video and kind of the, the Donald Glover's character makes it necessary, um, you know, kind of deflects, deflects that, that criticism. Um, as, yeah. Uh, Euler says. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, I, I mean, I agree. Like I can't see myself like sitting down and being like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like have a musical experience with this is America, you know? Um, yeah. I'm going to have a, I could have a philos or an aesthetic experience. Let's say I could have a, a philosophical experience or a political experience with it. And that's fine, but it's not really about the music at that point. And as, as Miss Euler uh, says at the end of her article, um, or to paraphrase her, why write a song when a manifesto will do? Um, 
that's sort of the feeling I get is that, um, you know, we end up with, uh, you know, actually a fairly uh, heavy handed <laughs> um, art- aesthetic technique um, of shifting between those two forms of music uh, so quickly to make a heavy handed point. Now, you could argue um, that the uh, utterly uh, savage uh, way in which black people are treated in America deserves heavy-handed um, uh, uh, art to talk about it, and that's actually I would agree with that. It's a polemic. Polemic is a, a legit genre, um, but For sure. um, it doesn't it doesn't lead lend uh, it doesn't create tend to create aesthetic experiences that you're going to like come back to for their own sake. It's more um, you know rallying the the side that you're the 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 side that you're on in this case really yeah it's it's gonna be of the moment and you know in in the future it might be it's gonna be interesting uh but it may lose some of its power yeah Um, or it may not it may not but um you know and and you know obviously hard to predict yeah that sort of time thing i was about to say you know then this uh, leads one to think about the conundrum that I think a lot of thoughtful people have come uh, have addressed uh, as they engage with social media over the past few years is that uh, what is the point of all this yelling at each other um, about political stuff when um, the reactions to anything political you say are always pretty much either uh, or at least the popular thing political things that are said is that uh, the people who are already on your side love it and high five each other about how clever it was. And the people who hate it, um, uh, start sending you sarcastic troll tweet, uh, mentions and, um, start to hold it up as an example of how stupid you are. And like nothing is accomplished in terms of, uh, uh, affecting any political end. Um, uh, except that maybe people are a little more hyped to fight. Um, so, I mean, I was going to say that about this, like this is a, a more eloquent version of that than uh, most political statements made online, perhaps. But True. Um, all your friends who are sharing it with each other, were already in agreement that um, uh, police need to stop killing black people, which they do. Um, and all the people who don't really give a shit and think the black people deserve it um, uh, are not going to be watching this video and be like, oh, you know, good point. Um, but you could say that um, over time, uh, something like this, you know, like a lot of uh, protest music from the 60s has, um, can sort of become a thing that future generations who adopt those values can look back on and sort of understand how they come to came to those views. So in that sense, you know, there may be over time more value to more more real political value to something like this than there is in the moment, even though it's people are excited about it in the moment. True. And I mean, you know, to when you're preaching to the choir, as you're discussing, I mean, you know, there has been shown to be, I think, benefits to radicalizing those who are already on your side, yeah. um, which work like this can do. Um, but yeah, it could. I could imagine it spurring people to take actual action when they might not yes. otherwise be motivated all the way yes. to do it. In which case, Praxis, great. Praxis, motherfucker. Um, <laughs> but uh it's it's that still i think it's away from you know that uh you know the the realm of artistic criticism maybe maybe i mean you know i'm sure there are whole schools of thought whole you know uh you know departments at universities who would absolutely disagree and say that that's the most important aspect of of criticism of music or literature um you know what action it spurs and what the political climate is but um, yeah i'm sure there I, I are think, such people <laughs> oh yeah oh, there, there definitely are such people um but um you know for for me uh i guess i still hold the it might be a white guy truth that there's some you know ineffable uh artistic value pure artistic value that is um, detached from all of that. Yeah. Uh, well, and I think of it in terms of means and ends. Like, I, however important politics are, they are ultimately a means to allowing people to live good, fulfilling lives. And 
if we completely abandon living good, fulfilling lives in order to do this political stuff all the time, uh, we sort of, you know, we destroyed the village in order to save it. Um, well, yes. If you, if you ask me. Yeah. I mean, you know, all the, you know, we're, we're uh, a lot of our, our politics are fighting for the right for people to, you know, have the time and means right. to care, care about their dumb bullshit um, instead yeah. of surviving. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I mean. Um, yeah. uh, once we have, uh, uh, until the day that true liberation comes, as she says, which I am skeptical of ever happening, um, <laughs> uh, you know, um, there, basically, uh, it would be foolish to give up on living and being human um, for that long-awaited day when there's no more injustice because that might never come. And also, you don't right. really have to do that. Good call, good call. Uh, the uh, post-scarcity world uh, is still pretty scarce. <laughs> Very much so. All right. Um, I think that's those are my thoughts on it. Um, I'm going to yeah. follow Lauren Euler on Twitter. Her essay was so good, I'm going to follow her on Twitter. That's actually yes. high praise. Lauren, please follow back and tell us if we pronounced your last name correctly. Um, and, um, yeah, uh, Paul, what should our fans do? They should they uh, like us very much. Well, we already told them to rate and review us on iTunes, so I'll just say they should also hit us up at savagerespod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Savage Pod, where we will include you in our conversation immediately. Yes. Um, and uh, good night. Good night.